Welcome to another Adult Bible Study Guide, Exploring the Book of Job, written by Clifford Goldstein, edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group, narrated by Byron Phillips and Lynette Newhart. Exploration 12. Job's Redeemer. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4, the New Living Translation. With the sudden appearance of the Lord himself, beginning in chapter 38, the book of Job reached its climax. God revealed himself to Job in a powerful and miraculous way, and this resulted in Job's confession and contrition. The Lord then rebuked Job's three friends for their wrong words, and Job prayed for them. Job 42 verse 10 in the New King James Version tells us, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before, and Job lived a long and full life afterward. There is, however, something unsettling, something unsatisfactory about the story and how it ends. God and Satan arguing in heaven, battle it out here on earth in the life and flesh of poor Job. It just doesn't seem fair, doesn't seem right, that Job would have to bear the terrible brunt of this conflict between God and Satan, while the Lord remained in heaven and simply watched it. There must be more to the story, and there is. It is revealed many centuries later, in Jesus and his death on the cross. In Jesus alone, we find amazing and comforting answers to the questions that the book of Job didn't fully answer. My Redeemer liveth. When God appeared to Job in chapter 38, he revealed himself to Job as the Creator, who divided a channel for the overflowing water, the one who made a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on a land where there is no one. Job chapter 38, verses 25 and 26, New King James Version. Our Lord, though, isn't only the Creator. He has another essential title and role as well. Job 19, verses 25, 26, and 27. What do these words reveal about Job's hope of salvation? For I know that my Redeemer and Vindicator lives, and at the last he will take his stand upon the earth. Even after my mortal skin is destroyed by death, yet from my immortal flesh, I will see God, whom I, even I, will see for myself, and my eyes will see him, and not another. My heart faints within me. 
With these famous verses, Job shows that he had some knowledge of the Redeemer, some knowledge that though people died, there was hope beyond the grave, and this hope was found in the Redeemer, who was to come to the earth one day. These words of Job point to what is the most important truth in the Bible, God as our Redeemer. Yes, God is our Creator, but in a fallen world, in a world of sinners doomed to die eternally in their sins, we need more than a Creator. We need a Redeemer as well. And that's precisely who our God is, both our Creator and our Redeemer. And it's from Him in both those roles, Creator and Redeemer, that we have the great hope of eternal life. Listen to Job chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. In this passage, how does John tie together Jesus as Creator and Jesus as our Redeemer? In the beginning, before all time was the Word, Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God Himself. He was continually existing in the beginning, co-eternally with God. All things were made and came into existence through Him, and without Him, not even one thing was made that has come into being. In Him was life, and the power to bestow life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines on in the darkness, and the darkness did not understand it, or overpower it, or appropriate it, or absorb it, and is unreceptive to it. There came a man commissioned and sent from God, whose name was John. This man came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all men believe in Christ the light through him. John was not the light, but came to testify about the light. There it was, the true light, the genuine, perfect, steadfast light, which coming into the world enlightens everyone. He, Christ, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, that which belonged to him, his world, his creation, his possession, and those who were his own people, the Jewish nation, did not receive and welcome him. But to as many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the right, the authority, the privilege to become children of God, that is, to those who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely on his name, who were born not of blood, natural conception, nor of the will of flesh, physical impulse, nor of the will of man, that of a natural father, but of God, that is, a divine and supernatural birth. They are born of God, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified. And the word Christ became flesh and lived among us, and we actually saw his glory, Glory as belongs to the one and only begotten Son of the Father, the Son, who is truly unique, the only one of his kind who is full of grace and truth, absolutely free of deception.
The allusion to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, God as creator, is obvious in John chapter 1 and verse 1. And if that weren't enough, the words, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, John chapter 1 and verse 10, 11 and 12, the New King James Version, make the link between Jesus as creator and redeemer inseparable. Indeed, it's only because he is the creator that he can be our redeemer as well. If you had only a creator but no redeemer, what hope would you have? What does your answer say about why Jesus as Redeemer is so important? The Son of Man In the earliest chapters of Job, we were given a glimpse into the reality of the great controversy between Christ and Satan. As Revelation chapter 12 verses 7 through 12 remind us, it was a battle that started in heaven, but eventually came to the earth. Listen. And war broke out in heaven, Michael the archangel, and the angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought, but they were not strong enough and did not prevail, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the age-old serpent who is called the devil and Satan, he who continually deceives and seduces the entire inhabited world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom, the minion reign of our God, and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our believing brothers and sisters has been thrown down at last. He who accuses them and keeps bringing charges of sinful behavior against them before our God day and night and they overcame and conquered him because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony. For they did not love their life and renounce their faith, even when faced with death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, in the presence of God. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you in great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time remaining. Unfortunately for Job, that particular conflict on earth centered on him. Two questions to answer as you listen to Job chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. What was Job's complaint, and did he not have a point? Job chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as a man sees? Are your days as the days of a mortal? Are your years as man's years? Job's point was simple. You are God, the sovereign of the universe, the creator. 
How can you know what it is like to be a human, to suffer the things that we suffer? How do the following six texts answer Job's complaint? Job chapter 2 and verse 11. For this day in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, before all time, was the Word, Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God Himself. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2. After he had gone without food for forty days and forty nights, he became hungry. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. For there is only one God and only one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And... Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human, in every respect as we are, yet without committing any sin. Job's complaint that God wasn't a human and therefore couldn't know human woe, was answered fully and completely by the coming of Jesus into humanity. Though never losing his divinity, Jesus was also fully human, and in that humanity he knew what it was like to suffer and struggle, just as Job and all humans do. In fact, all through the Gospels, we see the reality of Christ's humanity and the sufferings that he went through in our humanity. Jesus answered Job's complaint. It was not a make-believe humanity that Christ took upon himself. He took human nature and lived human nature. He was not only made flesh, but he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. Ellen G. White Comments, The SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 5, page 1124. Think what it means that Jesus took humanity. What does this tell you about how closely he can relate to you in any of the struggles that you are facing right now? death of Christ. What do the next two texts tell us about Jesus and how we are to view him? 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. Whoever says he lives in Christ, that is, whoever says he has accepted him as God and Savior, ought as a moral obligation to walk and conduct himself just as he walked and conducted himself. 
Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. My little children, for whom I am again in the pains of labor until Christ is completely and permanently formed within you. Without question, Jesus is the model man. His life, his character, is the example that all who follow him should seek by God's grace to emulate. Jesus is the only perfect example we have in terms of how to live the kind of life to which God calls us. Still, Jesus didn't come to this earth merely to give us an example. Our situation as sinners calls for more than just character development, as if reforming our characters and molding us into his image is all that his work as Redeemer required. We need more than that. We need a substitute, someone to pay the penalty for our sins. He came not just to live a perfect life as an example to us all. He came also to die the death that we deserve so that his perfect life can be credited to us as our own. What do the following texts teach about the necessity of Christ's death for you? Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must, of necessity, suffer many things and be rejected as the Messiah by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and must be put to death and after three days rise from death to life. Luke chapter 9 and verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected as the Messiah by the elders and chief priests and scribes, Sanhedrin, Jewish high court, and be put to death and on the third day be raised up from death to life. Luke chapter 24 and verse 7. The Son of Man must be handed over to sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise from death to life. And Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21. I do not ignore or nullify the gracious gift of the grace of God, his amazing unmerited favor. For if righteousness comes through observing the law, then Christ died needlessly. His suffering and death would have had no purpose whatsoever. Jesus had to die for us because obedience to the law though central to the Christian life, is not what saves the fallen. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 21, the New King James Version says, Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. If any law could save a sinner, it would be God's. But even that law cannot save us. Only the perfect life of our perfect example, Jesus, could save us. And so Christ came to offer himself as one sacrifice for sins forever. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, the New King James Version. How does your own record of law-keeping show you your need of a substitute?
The Suffering of the Son of Man Listen to Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 through 6. What do these verses tell us about the suffering of the Lord on the cross? Who has believed, confidently trusted and relied on and adhered to our message of salvation? And to whom, if not us, has the arm and infinite power of the Lord been revealed? For he, the servant of God, grew up before him like a tender shoot, plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He has no stately form or majestic splendor that we would look at him, nor handsome appearance that we would be attracted to him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and pain and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we did not appreciate his worth or esteem him. But in fact, he has borne our griefs, and he has carried our sorrows and pains. Yet we ignorantly assumed that he was stricken, struck down by God and degraded and humiliated by him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing. The punishment required for our well-being fell on him, and by his stripes, his wounds, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned, each one to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wickedness of us all, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing, to fall on him instead of us. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4 said that Jesus bore our griefs and sorrows. That must include Job's griefs and sorrows as well. And not just Job's, but the whole world's. It was for the sin of all humans who ever lived that Jesus died on the cross. So, only at the cross can the book of Job be put in proper perspective. Here we have the same God who revealed himself to Job, the God who teaches the eagle to fly, the God who binds the quartz, suffering more than any human being, even Job, ever suffered or could suffer. The grief and sorrows that we know individually, he assumed corporately. No one, then, can lecture God on suffering, not when he in humanity bore in himself the full brunt of all the suffering that sin has spread around the globe. We know only our own griefs, only our own sorrows at the cross. Jesus experienced them all. The God who asked Job, Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? Becomes more incredible when we realize that Though he created the ordinance of heaven, he also took upon himself earthly flesh, in that flesh died so that he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, the New King James Version. Viewed through the cross, the book of Job makes more sense than it does without it because the cross answers many questions that the book leaves unanswered. And the biggest question of all 
deals with how fair it is for God to be up in heaven while Job on earth is forced to suffer as he does, all in order to help refute Satan's charges. The cross shows that no matter how badly Job or any human being suffers in this world, our Lord voluntarily suffered so much worse than any of us could, all in order to give us the hope and promise of salvation. Job saw God as creator after the cross. We see him as creator and redeemer, or particularly the creator who became our redeemer. As Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 8 amaze us. Who, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, as one with him possessing the fullness of all the divine attributes, the entire nature of deity, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted, as if he did not already possess it or was afraid of losing it, but emptied himself without renouncing or diminishing his deity, but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine equality and his rightful dignity by assuming the form of a bond servant. And being made in the likeness of men, he became completely human, but was without sin, being fully God and fully man. After he was found in terms of his outward appearance as a man, For a divinely appointed time, he humbled himself still further by becoming obedient to the Father, to the point of death, even death on a cross. And to do that, he had to suffer from sin in ways that no human being, Job included, would or could ever suffer. Thus, like Job, only more so, what can you do before such a sight but exclaim like Job did, recorded in Job chapter 42 and verse 6, New King James Version, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Satan Unmasked. Here is John chapter 12, verses 30, 31, and 32. What is Jesus saying about Satan in the context of the cross and the great controversy? John chapter 12, 30 through 32. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now judgment is upon this world. The sentence is being passed. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. And I, if and when I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, will draw all people to myself. After talking about the death of Jesus on the cross, Ellen G. White wrote about the powerful impact it had in heaven 
and for the onlooking universe. Satan's lying charges against the divine character and government appeared in their true light. He had accused God of seeking merely the exaltation of himself in requiring submission and obedience from his creatures, and had declared that, while the Creator exacted self-denial from all others, he himself practiced no self-denial and made no sacrifice. Now it was seen that for the salvation of a fallen and sinful race, the ruler of the universe had made the greatest sacrifice which love could make. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. 2 Corinthians 5.19 It was seen also that while Lucifer had opened the door for the entrance of sin by his desire for honor and supremacy, Christ had, in order to destroy sin, humbled himself and become obedient unto death. The Great Controversy, page 502 How did Christ's death reconcile a fallen world to God? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, that is, restoration to favor with God. The world had fallen into sin, into rebellion. It had left itself open to the schemes of Satan, as so clearly seen, for example, in the book of Job. Jesus, though, by his taking hold of humanity in himself, while never losing his divinity, formed an unbreakable bond between heaven and earth, and with his death guaranteed the final demise of sin and Satan. At the cross, Jesus paid the legal penalty for sin, thus reconciling the fallen world to God. Though we are sinners condemned to death, by faith we can have the promise of eternal life in Jesus. Whatever sins you have committed, Jesus paid the full penalty for them at the cross. Does this amazing truth change your life and cause you to want to live in obedience to him? Let's continue exploring. Now is the judgment of this world. Christ continued, Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. This is the crisis of the world. If I become the propitiation for the sins of men, the world will be lighted up. Satan's hold upon the souls of men will be broken. The defaced image of God will be restored in humanity, 
and a family of believing saints will finally inherit the heavenly home. This is the result of Christ's death. The Savior is lost in contemplation of the scene of triumph called up before him. He sees the cross, the cruel, ignominious cross, with all its attending horrors, blazing with glory. But the work of human redemption is not all that is accomplished by the cross. The love of God is manifested to the universe. The prince of this world is cast out. The accusations which Satan has brought against God are refuted. The reproach which he has cast upon heaven is forever removed. Angels as well as men are drawn to the Redeemer. The writing of Ellen G. White in the classic The Desire of Ages, pages 625 and 626. Here are a few thoughts to ponder and questions to consider. What are other ways that you can think of regarding how the life and death of Jesus answered questions that the book of Job left unanswered? Consider what the cross reveals to you about the character of God, especially when you realize that the one who created you was the one who died for you on the cross. Does this reality give you hope and comfort, regardless of whatever trials you are facing? How can this amazing truth encourage you to trust in God and in His goodness? And speaking of God's goodness, contemplate Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. He who did not spare even His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Amazing goodness! Incredible graciousness. What a gift for you today. As we have discovered, the book of Job has shown, among other things, that the great controversy is a cosmic issue and that the conflict between Christ and Satan has a dimension that goes beyond the earth itself. Imagine what it must have been like for heavenly creatures who knew Jesus only in his heavenly glory, to see him go through what he did on the cross. How does contemplating this amazing idea help you come to a great appreciation of what Jesus gave you? ambassadorgroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.